Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The beginning of last summer, uh, Judy and I were presented with a couple of tickets to the Hollywood Bowl to see uh, Paul Simon start out his uh, homecoming tour. Uh, and I had not remembered from my childhood how big the Hollywood Bowl really was. And we were blessed to have tickets that were almost halfway down the, to the stage. And Paul Simon was still about that tall, <laughs> just the little guy up there. They had some big screens. It was a marvelous night of music. And of course, they sang a song there that, uh, you know, was one of his most well-known. Uh, it was called Slip Sliding Away. And he just says that phrase a couple times, says, you know, the nearer your destination, the more you're slip sliding away. Um, and I thought about that as I was praying about this week's scripture. Because Jesus and his disciples have been making their way from Galilee, where he grew a fantastic reputation as a healer, as an exorcist, as a preacher who spoke as one with authority and not like the others did who always cited some other precedent of their uh, faith, but he spoke as one with authority, as though God were speaking right through him. He, he, he gathered great multitudes around him up in the north, and every time that people would come near to him, Jesus kept telling the disciples, I'm not ready to let people know who I am yet, until one day, he asked them, who are the others saying that I am? They said, well, John the Baptist or Elijah uh, or, or, or somebody else. And then Jesus said, and who do you say that I am? And Peter, you remember, just blurted out, you are the Christ and the Messiah. He must have been feeling wonderful when Jesus said to him, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, Peter, but God has revealed this to you. And now I want to tell you what it means to be the Christ and the Messiah, that the Son of Man must suffer and be handed over, arrested, betrayed, killed, and on the third day rise again. And as he began to teach Peter what anyone who knows the prophet Isaiah could only assume was the most powerful sermon on Isaiah ever given, as he began to talk about the suffering servant of Isaiah, Peter stopped Jesus, rebuked him, and said, Lord, that will never happen to you. At which point, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking like God, you're thinking like a human. It's a very, very powerful scene because what had just happened prior to that in the Gospel of Mark, as, as Mark, the, the master storyteller, tells it, is that Jesus had healed the eyes of a blind man and, and allowed him to see, and then taken his disciples right up to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration so that they could see the, the prelude to his glory. And in the midst of this, he sets that transfiguration experience over and against this teaching about how the Son of Man must suffer. And Jesus, as he teaches it, all he has to show for that teaching is Peter rebuking him. And so Mark has us travel now 
on the way from Galilee to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem is where it's all going to happen. It's where all those things will be fulfilled. Jerusalem is looming closer and closer. The, the shadows of the temple are casting a longer and longer shadow on the heart of Jesus. Halfway down the journey, he stops them again and says, now the Son of Man must suffer when I get there. They weren't really paying attention because they were talking and arguing about something else. And as they get to the, the house where they were going to stay that night, he said, what were you arguing about on the road? And they were afraid, Mark says, to tell him because what they were arguing about is which one of the disciples was the greatest. You know the old argument, mom always liked you best. They were having a, a very serious discussion about which of them was more powerfully liked by Jesus. Who would be the, the stronger, more effective disciple? I'm turning to the choir now because you sit up here above all the others and you think of yourselves in these ways. And now come the boos and the hisses from the melodrama. <laughs> so now this is twice that he's told them what the scriptures themselves say about the mission of God's Messiah. And they have responded with a rebuke and with an argument about which one of them is greatest. And so we come to today's passage. And for the third time, he tells them, that the Son of Man must suffer and be handed over and betrayed. Just prior to the scripture lesson that I read to you, this is what he was telling them. He was telling them all about the suffering of the Son of Man, who, Isaiah said, had no form or comeliness that we should desire to look upon him, that we esteemed him as smitten, as forgotten by God, but he was, Isaiah says, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was laid the sin of the whole world. And Jesus was pouring out this teaching to his disciples. A rebuke, an argument about who's greatest. I wonder what's coming next. John and James sidle up to Jesus, who's so close to Jerusalem now that the st stress of it is obviously starting to show. And they say, Master, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. If your child came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I want you to do for me whatever I ask, you'd laugh, wouldn't you? And then you'd fold your arms and say, um, what is it you want me to do? Tell me first, and then I'll say whether I'll follow through on that. It sounds so childish. It sounds so immature. But think back about your experiences in your prayer closet this past week. And how many times we come before the God of Scripture, the God of all creation, and say, Lord, I want you to do for me whatever I ask. Or am I the only one in this room who fantasizes about winning a $999 million Powerball? I keep asking the Lord, and he says, you're going to have to buy a ticket if you're going to win. <laughs> Darn. If that ticket ever appears in my wallet magically, I'll let you know. And Lord, I want you to do whatever you ask. All right, what is it you want this time? 
Mind you, this is on the heels of him talking about the suffering of the Son of Man. And they said, we want you to let us sit. James at the left and John at the right. At which point John says, no, John at the left and James at the right. When you come into your glory, we want you to allow us to sit, one at your left and one at your right. And Jesus says to them, you don't even know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to have to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I must be baptized? And they said, Lord, we are able. And he said again, you will. You will drink that cup, and you will be baptized with that baptism. But what you're asking of me right now is not for me to grant. It's been appointed by my Father for those to whom it shall be given. Can I have you go over just a few more pages with me in the Scriptures? Past the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Past all the controversy with all the temple officials and the leaders. Past the upper room where they broke bread and they drank the cup of Elijah together. And he said, this is my blood of a new covenant. Will you walk with me out through the Kidron Valley and up the hill to the Garden of Gethsemane? Will you go past all of that? to the torches that came in the night and the kiss on the cheek from the betrayer and the denials by the campfire at Caiaphas's place. Could you go with me just a little further? Could you walk with Mark out to that hill, that terrible hill at the edge of the city where Mark says, and there they crucified him along with two criminals, one on his left and one on his right. The exact same words in the Greek. And Mark never repeats himself. Mark wants to know. Mark wants you and me to know that that hill, that that beaten and betrayed and forsaken figure is where the kingdom of God began. This is the glory of the suffering servant of man, the Son of God. This is how he came into his glory. That through the obedience of his suffering, he gained the crown of victory. And Jesus said to them, you will be baptized into my baptism. You will drink of the cup. And it took the church a few few semesters in grad school before they began to understand that when we baptize somebody in the church, we are submersing them into the life and death of Jesus Christ and into his resurrection power. And every time, as Paul said, we break the bread and drink the cup, we remember again and we celebrate the life and death of Jesus, who is our glory and the pioneer and the perfecter of all of our faith. You want to know what it means to be faithful? Kneel down with him in the garden and say, God, I would rather than anything else but this happen to me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours 
be done. In the power that it takes, in the grace that is given, in the strength of God that allows us to say that nevertheless is everything. That's the foundation of our kingdom. The glory of God will be revealed in its fullness at the end of our days upon this earth. But in this world, it falls upon Christ and the servants of Christ to absorb the suffering, the slings, and the arrows, everything else that this life has to offer, and to say, nevertheless, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Nevertheless, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was crucified and raised. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Church, the universal kingdom of God, and the life everlasting. Nevertheless, when we come before God, we come before God asking for the power to say, nevertheless. But Jesus must have felt as the disciples were asking him, let us sit at your left and your right hand, right on the heels of another sermon about the suffering servant, he must have felt like, wow, the nearer my destination, the more, more we're slip sliding away. And God only knows. God makes his plan. These mysteries are hidden from the mortal man. We work our jobs, collect our pay. Believe we're gliding down the highway when we're really just slip sliding away. As we come in our own lives to our Jerusalem moments, it's so important to stay in proximity with Christ who knew our sufferings, who died our death, and who rose again for our sake. To stay in proximity to Christ as close as we ever can. And he will take us by the hand and he will lead us through our trials and he will lead us to the other side of all that causes us to fear and quake. Oh, don't settle for the cheap and the easy way. For that brand of discipleship which always gets its way and never serves another, who always demands for itself and never pours itself out. Don't settle for that, but follow Christ. Follow Christ. Follow Christ as he reveals himself, as Mark reveals him to us, and not as we would like him to be so that we could sit in glory, kick up our feet, turn, off, turn on NFL Sunday ticket, open another cold one, and think that that is the kingdom of God. I had this sermon in the can on Thursday, and my good friend in Denver sent me an article from uh, the local paper there the high school in the community that, where he serves, and he's at a Methodist church with almost 2,000 members and 1,000 in attendance or more. Remember those days, Orange? There were 
two suicides in the last two weeks at Arapahoe High School. Teen suicide is on the rise all over the country. There have been six suicides in the last three years in that community, and he has had to preach at two of those services. His church was, was getting ready, this United Methodist Church, to uh, look at a new development out in town and go out and start a new ministry out there, a satellite church, if you will. And they've pulled back from that plan because the leading of God was to instead begin to speak with community leaders and to build a wellness and wholeness center to reconnect disenfranchised youth with community, to get them out of their iPads and out of the, off of their iPhones and get them talking to one another again. My friend was on a path to uh, a great career in, in the conference that he served before he went to Denver, and one of the biggest churches in that conference was sending people to listen to him preach, and they were pretty sure that they were going to get him, and then the bishop out of the clear blue sent somebody else to that church, and I remember him being disappointed uh, that he wasn't going to get a chance to go there, and instead, he ended up being called by the bishop of the Rocky Mountains to come to Denver. And, and then he looked at that church and thought, wow, this is a big church. And as I was reading this article and the fact that the only pastor and the only church quoted in that article was the United Methodist Church and was my friend, I sent him a text message. I said, did you ever dream in the way that these appointments were unfolding? That God was going to call you to this community to help them find their way out of this blight, this dark place, this terrifying suffering of their young people. He said, no, I can never imagine, as I think on it, how God's plans are going to unfold. But I will tell you, I have never felt more useful to God and more used by the Lord. I said to Judy, when he and I stopped talking with each other, I said, man, his career has really been something. His career has really taken off. He's done just such a great job. I'm so proud of him. Because you see, he was an eighth grader in a youth group that I once served. And Judy said, did you ever dream as we were going on snow trips and trips to Mexico? Did you ever dream how impactful that youth group would end up being for the people of Denver? And I said, no, I didn't. I really didn't. And that's how it is, friends, in the kingdom of God. You have no idea the good you're doing when you walk with Christ and you go out into the world. You have no idea that the lives you're touching are going to be so unbelievably important. And God may set you on a course where you have to sacrifice and suffer again and again, but the lives you touch will go on to bless others in a powerful way. So set aside our dreams of glory. Take up the mantle of serving. Be a slave of all and a servant of one another so that we can find at the end of this journey so that we can find when we come to the end of our life that we will walk through that awful sea of death 
with all the weary pilgrims of this world, singing hallelujahs together as the one who went before us leads us home at last. Amen.